Welcome, I'm your host, Greg McEwen, and I am here with you on this journey to learn how to understand each other, to get better at negotiation and conflict resolution. Have you ever held on to a grudge against people who hurt you? Have you ever wasted precious mental energy being angry, hurt, annoyed, or even resentful? How long has the wound been festering? Weeks? Months? Years? Decades? Today I've invited Chris Williams onto the show to share his story about resolving personal conflict, what he has learned from it, and some actionable advice. By the end of this episode, you will be able to let go of a personal conflict, a grudge that you have been holding on to so that you can reinvest that emotional energy back into what's really essential to you. Let's get to it. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Remember to teach the ideas in this podcast to someone else within 24 to 48 hours of listening. Write down some notes to help you share this effectively. Chris Williams already knew what mattered in his life. His family weren't just the most important thing. For him, it was the only thing. Then, one freezing night in February 2007, the car he was driving was hit broadside by an erratic teenage driver. William's wife, their unborn baby, his nine-year-old daughter, and his 11-year-old son were all killed. His six-year-old son was seriously injured, and his 14-year-old son, who was at a friend's house at the time of the crash, would never be the same after that day. We would all expect Chris to be swallowed up body and soul by this experience. None of us would fault him for being overcome by fury. It's the most natural thing to imagine, his resentment closing around him, scarring him, following him around for decades, which is what made William's choice in that moment so breathtaking. Minutes after the crash, sitting amid the twisted metal and broken bodies, Williams had an eye-of-the-storm moment of clarity. Not the next day, not a year later, but right there at this unimaginably violent scene, he saw two possible lives ahead of him. Chris, welcome to the show. Let's get right into this. Absolutely. What was your first thought in that moment? So after the impact, it was just immediate shock. Uh, and there was a desperation there, it just trying to find a pulse on my wife's arm, you know, not really even be, being able to move much because of the, the nature of the injuries I had sustained, but just desperately trying to get my hand over under hers to see if there was any pulse uh, there. And as I di- did that, I saw that she had sustained a significant injury on her right side, on her uh, elbow, and that was not bleeding. And I just knew that that was not a good sign. Um, and as I'm desperately fully feeling for the pulse, I'm also, you know, what about my children? I'm looking in the back seat. My son's got an injury that he sustained that's not bleeding as well. You know, once again, a very bad indication that you know the heart's not beating. So with all of this kind of immediate sense of, of dread and panic and pain uh, and hurt, and then just shock, not understanding, you know, what just happened? What's going on? How did this person, you know, th- this car get into this situation? How do we get into this situation? I think the one thing that surrounded me was just this soul compressing grief. I mean, if you, if you took all of those emotions and all of that and started to add it together, it just, um, it was amazing how fast I absolutely just felt like I wanted to die as well. I was just done. Um, and in fact, at one point when I couldn't find the pulse and I just started to realize that they were, they were gone, there was no amount of CPR or emergency assistance that would bring them back. I remember at one point just kind of pressing my head against the, the, the headrest and just trying, trying to will my soul out of its body. I mean, I was so, I was so done in that moment uh, and so full of, of pain that I wanted it to end immediately. 
Um, and so, yeah, that, that was just a, an incredibly difficult experience to go through. It's difficult to go back and, and remember that. However, it, 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 it's interesting in that it didn't last long because in the midst of that, I, I heard this groaning, uh, the sound actually, I, mean, I could hear people outside, you know, that had come to, to, to try and assist and, and they were giving any assistance. They, they knew too that, that, uh, you know, that this was a catastrophic situation. Um, but in the midst of all this, there's this groaning sound. And as I'm trying to put to will my you know soul out of its body, and as I'm going through this pain, the sound, you know, it, it, it almost started to be irritating. It was just like, you know, on top of everything, now I've got this, um, you know, this annoying sound that something or somebody is making. And it didn't seem like it was, it wasn't from my children. So it wasn't like I'm saying, you know, stop. But, but uh, it wasn't until I kind of started to try and focus in on that and to get it to stop that I realized it was me making that noise. I mean, I, there was just such a grief, such a tone of sadness and pain that was coming from me that I wasn't even that you know fully aware of. And in the midst of that situation, I remember just looking out the driver's side window at the car that had struck us, and you know immediately realizing because it's on its its roof, right? It's it's upside down. It's it's hit us. It's flipped. Um, and I couldn't see the driver of that vehicle, but just realizing that, you know, if I'm in this pain, they're going to be experiencing this pain as well. So, um, you know, th- there was at least that sense that that somebody else outside of my car had been impacted by this devastating situation as well. But it was as I was looking at that car that I heard as if it was spoken over my shoulder and it was presented to my mind as if it was somebody this there speaking to me. I heard three words. And the words were, let it go. And I knew in that moment, as soon as I heard that uh, presented to my mind in that way, that I had a choice to make. I mean, given the pain I was experiencing, given this noise I was making, given the fact that somebody else was involved in this and had caused this to, to, to occur, um, I had to make a choice very, very quickly about how I was going to move forward from this situation. Uh, I, I, the, you know, I was unsuccessful at getting my spirit out of its body. Um, I was unsuccessful at, at, uh, at being able to kind of control that pain in the moment to get it to stop, to get that noise that I was making to stop. Um, and with all of that combined and with that pressure, that soul compressing pressure I was in, it's as if that was my way forward was to just to, to let it go. And what's interesting about those three words is that, you know, I knew exactly what they meant. It was a very concise way of saying, there's two paths forward here for me. I mean, am I going to be healed and choose to move forward in a way that's positive, in a way that that allows me to heal and move forward? Or am I going to try and go it alone? Am I going to try and go down a path of of anger and you know, in, in a way that continues these feelings of, of sadness? And so that's uh, that was the decision I had to make in that instant is to let it go, to choose to heal and move forward in a way that let go of, you know, much of the uh, desire to try and control the outcome, but knowing that I couldn't control it, I could only focus on those things that I could focus on and, and control. So that was the decision I had to make in the in the car, seated next to my family, was to let it go. Embedded in that phrase, let it go, that came to you, it sounds like there was a whole set of meaning immediately brought to your mind. Absolutely. And in that meaning, you saw two choices in the midst of the agony. The first path was one where 
you indulged in your rage and bitterness that would be born out of that moment, choosing that future meant that you would be carrying the burden of those emotions for the rest of your life. It meant passing on those burdens to your surviving sons, inflicting emotional scars that might never heal. That's path one. The second path was one in which you were free from those burdens, one where you could be present for your surviving children as they recovered from the physical and psychological trauma they had sustained. It was one filled with purpose and meaning. So at its core, at its essence, essence the, the let it go meant, you know, going forward on those two paths, uh, there were certainly things that I was not going to be able to control going forward. Um, in fact, if anything, I, for me to heal appropriately, I could only focus on those things that I could absolutely control. And that was the choice is, do I want to focus on a path where I'm trying to control things over which I have absolutely no control? So as an example, like the the, the, the justice system. So it turned out that it was a, a, a young 17-year-old boy that had been drinking that night. And so you know, driving under the influence, he's alone in his car, he's blacking out as he's going, um, you know, hits our car, four people are, are killed. How could I control the outcome of his justice? How could I control the outcome of, of whether or not he's, you know, kind of penitent enough or has paid enough of a price for that? You know, how could I control just that whole path of justice should look like? Uh, what, what if my son were to die? You know, can I control whether, you know, my six-year-old that, that survived? Could I control whether or not he does live? Could I control how my family, my extended family reacts to this? I mean, there's so much that, I, that, that, that you can't control. And as I talk to people who, you know, experience traumatic situations and they get stuck, it's typically when they get stuck on trying to, to fix things or control things that they absolutely have no control over. In other words, you know, I'll hear statements like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to forgive this person until he's paid for what he's done. Well, there's no way that, you know, you, that, that that decision to or to not forgive is going to influence or, or control the, the way that that person, you know, that committed the offense is going to move through it. So. So yes, it was it was a is a decision to basically let everything go that that I had no control over and to focus on the things that I could control, um, because that th the nature of the accident was that because of somebody else's choice, I lost control. I, I lost control of the, the path of my family that we were on. I lost control of my you know being able to keep my wife safe and my children safe. Lost control of 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 my future for sure and and what that was going to look like. You know, we we go through lives with with kind of this illusion that we we have everything in control and yet you know life just tends to surprise us <laughs> daily that 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 we're not you know that, that that we have very limited control actually so so it's an exercise in letting go of those things that we we don't control and focusing on those things that we absolutely do control this is an important paradox by giving up control by letting go of the things you couldn't control you actually seem to take control of the things you could control. And it puts me in mind to a question I wrote about in Effortless that we should ask ourselves, what job have I hired this grudge to do? According to the late Clayton Christensen, the Harvard Business School professor, people don't really buy products or services, rather they hire them to do a job. In a similar way, what you're saying makes me think that we hire a grudge to fulfill an emotional need that is not currently being met. But as we conduct a performance review, 
we discover grudges perform poorly. Grudges cost us resources, but don't deliver a satisfying return on our investment. So we must relieve a grudge of its duties. No, that's that's an excellent point because you know I think what they try to hire those those grudges to do for them is to give them a sense of not only control, but to to give them a sense that that somehow things are going to work out. You know, the, the individual suffered a tremendous injustice; it has caused them tremendous amount of pain, and somehow you know holding that grudge gives them a sense that hey, I'm going to control my healing going forward that somehow this is going to help me heal if I can exercise this kind of control over the person that hurt me. And if I can kind of hurt them back, then somehow, you know, watching them suffer is going to help me regain some of the the peace or, you know, uh, uh, help or <laughs> uh, happiness that, uh, that, that they've lost. The problem with that is, is it's false. It's, it's absolutely false because uh, at the end of the day, you, you cannot control that other individual, whether or not they feel remorse for what they've done or whether or not they pay, uh, even if they go to jail, even if they go through all of that, I mean, they, they, there's no control over whether or not they feel pain in that experience of, of going through the justice system. And so by trying to, as a victim, to, to insert power over that, it, it's, it's just an absolute false bargain. There's, there's no, <laughs> at the end of the day, there's, there's really no peace that will come from that. I think the idea here is to hold a sort of performance review of our grudges. So if we've hired a grudge to make us feel in control, we can sometimes try to prove to ourselves and others that we are right and they are wrong. At first, this can make us feel superior, even powerful. It gives us a sense of control, but one that is fleeting and false. Because in reality, a grudge controls you like worm tongue in service of the King of Rohan in you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. A grudge pretends to be subservient to us, but really takes over. It also keeps us trapped in a never-ending loop of blame, self-righteousness, and self-loathing. So as we do a performance evaluation, that promise that a grudge will give us control is exactly opposite. It doesn't perform that responsibility well at all. We ought to fire the grudge. Maybe there are times we hire a grudge to give us attention. When people hear our story of victimhood, we get their support and sympathy. We're, in that sense, incentivized to tell our story again and again. This is easy and even satisfying in the moment, but it delivers an unsatisfying ending. Behind the sympathy people express, there is also fatigue. This is one reason people have to always find a new set of people to tell their story to. What you did, what's so striking, is that you chose to fire your grudge almost immediately. And, and that made all the difference because you were immediately able to take all of that mental and emotional energy and return it back to the things that actually matter most. You turned a negative into a positive. Winter was turned into summer. If good can come out of evil, if good can come out of, of the horrible experiences that we're asked to go through, then perhaps that's the better path to choose. <laughs> Rather than the, the vindictive, the justice, the you know, wanting other people to pay and getting stuck in that, 
you know, perhaps if, if anything did ever happen to me, and this is what it, my thought process was in 2005, 2006, was that, you know, that, that would be the process, the, the path to choose would be to, of, of letting it go. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting is an experience that is very quickly just of O.J. Simpson. We all, you know, are going up with that verdict and and what had happened with with he and Nicole and and his murdering of Nicole. What struck me as interesting is every time they would go back for either um, a, a hearing to see if he was going to get released from prison or a, you know just the hearing itself, it always showed the Simpson family and, and them, of course, wanting absolute justice. They they wanted him to pay for what he had done to Nicole. And what I saw there was just this consistent message of, you know, we're in pain. We want him to suffer. We can't move on until he pays for what he's done to Nicole. And so it was kind of the opposite spectrum of experiences and kind of really feeling bad for that family that they were stuck, that they couldn't move on because they had chosen to put their path of healing to be dependent on whether or not somebody else uh, pays for what they've done. So, so in other words, they, they kind of, they, they ceded their freedom. They ceded their ability to move forward to the very person that had caused them the grief in the first place. And I think what I learned from that was that is a very bad bargain to make. That is a very way, bad way to, to uh, determine how to move forward and heal. Not being able to control any of those things you just mentioned, you know, the other person's, the, their justice or their path forward or whether or not they feel remorse Etc. You've put yourself into you know, for those who have been offended and and choose to heal that way. Um, you, you've absolutely put yourself at the mercy of, of not only things you can't control, but really things that are, are quite negative that will continue to tie you back to the past. Which f- for the people that are offended will be a very difficult and sad and 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 hard past to continue to revisit over and over and over again. So the question is: is you know looking into the future. Do you want to take that poison that that you know those ill experiences that um, you know very difficult thing that you probably are <laughs> don't want to keep revisiting over and over and over again in a negative way? Do you want to you know tie that to your healing going forward and and the person that that offended you, or do you want to let all of that go, strip it all away, and and you know in in a sense kind of with a clean not so much a clean slate, but at least a a very healthy and clean thought process. Just take a look at all the things you can control and say, "This is what I'm going to move forward with." You know, it, and for me, it was it was my surviving boys, it was the, the friends and family that I wanted to have close to me in my healing process. I did not want that young man part of the healing process, so that was one of the things that I kind of pushed aside. I did not want his justice uh, process to be part of that pro- my healing process, so I pushed that all all aside as well. Uh, of necessity, necessity, I had to be a part of it. But even there, when the judge asked me, you know, what I for some input as to whether the young man should be served as a, uh, a tried as an adult or a juvenile, I, I punted it right back to him. I just said, you know, that's that's your decision. I'll support whatever you decide. That's why he gets he gets paid the big bucks as a judge. Uh, but even in that, I wasn't going to insert myself. And I think for a lot of people that can't forgive, they would be, you know, so anxious to want to be able to insert themselves, uh, to control, so, to, to regain kind of that control over the person that offended them. And for me, like my letting it go was basically pushing all of that completely out of my life, um, and, and then choosing to move forward with the most positive of of remembrances of my wife and my children, the most positive um, individuals and people around me, and then the most positive experiences going forward. Um, I, I think there's one other thing that's that's so important to consider, and that that choice is is, is what kind of legacy are you going to leave? You know, is that really the legacy you want? Is years and years of of 
I'm, you know, not only grieving, but, you know, just anger and desire for retribution and justice and everything else? Or is it going to be a, a, a legacy of, of healing, of, you know, letting go and focusing on the things you can control and then, you know, giving those people that are close to you and that love you your, your emotional energy and attention in an unfettered way? And what's fascinating about this is this, you know, this is a story that should have been so very obvious to me that I, I don't know why it wasn't. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the Christian story is that, you know, that Jesus Christ came and suffered so unjustly and suffered, you know, so that I wouldn't have to. Or in other words, this is the, the Christian story for me is a, is a story of exactly that. It's a story of, of tremendously unjust pain and suffering whereby there is a tremendous amount of good that comes from it. And I don't know why, I, you know, that that wasn't one of the things that I was focused on before, but, but it's been since the crash that as I go back and I say, you know, that's you know, certainly there is a, an archetype for that in, the, in that Christian faith, but um, it, it's not just limited to that. I mean, there are, you know, countless stories of so much good that comes from a, a very trying time or, or, or it could be the, the 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 story, the rags to riches story, right? I mean, there, there's this plays out in, in movies and other things. So, um, but but I don't know why I, I never considered it as as something I needed to adopt fully in my life until, of course, the crash happens, and then you know I see it ha- pan out. I'm I don't know why I was so, so surprised about it, but now realizing that it has really made it a, a, a tremendous focus for me in my healing going forward. So the the question I ask is, it has not been about you know has that boy paid the price or or, or you know am I getting justice out of this or, or has that served its purpose etc. It's the question is really flipped now to be one of what's the greater good that can come from that experience that I went through today. In other words, you know who is it that I can help? Who whose prayer can I be an answer to of somebody that's stuck in this situation or 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 who who else could I assist in a positive way? To, to help them, you know, either th- with their path of forgiveness or with, with letting it go or with mending and healing and lifting and binding and, 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 and bringing goodness out of it. And, and the motivation for that is because the more good that comes of it, the, the more it's going to help me. The more, the more it makes my, uh, the, my wife and my children's passing mean something versus, you know, potentially meaning nothing. That's so important for me right now. So uh, the, the question I ask every day, actually, is just, you know, whose prayer can I be an answer to today or, or, or who can I help or who can I assist today, um, especially somebody that's, that's in a situation where they can't forgive or can't let it go or, or, or can't move forward? My sense is that when people hurt us, when we hold on to grudges, part of the reason for that is we're asking less than helpful questions. Maybe we ask, why did they do this? Or how was I so naive to allow it to happen? Or how can I get even? How can I get back to being on top? But these questions keep us sitting in our suffering, keep us controlled by the worm tongue grudge that is siphoning off our energy all the time and whispering to us, I think, lying to us that if we ever let go of this, somehow we'll be less, we'll be weaker, whereas the opposite is true. We could ask ourselves, what would my life be like free completely from this grudge, this burden? What is the greater good that will come out of it? How will this change my story? What would this mean 
if I were able to forgive them, how would that make this story more compelling, more powerful? Take my life in an upward momentum. Of course, we don't have to go through something this extreme to experience the freedom from unforgiveness. I think forgiveness is the leverage point where you're letting go of the need for justice. You're letting go of trying to control it. But I think it's also a gateway to something much better. Forgiveness doesn't end with just letting go. Forgiveness includes this post-traumatic growth syndrome that has been identified. I think it allows that to be possible. Until you forgive, you can't see it turned into good. But it can be the suffering, challenges of the past can work for our good. And the question you've given us is very tangible, sort of unusual way of thinking about forgiveness. But surely that is a way to make life less full of suffering, to make the challenges of life less difficult in the future, to make even the hardest things a little easier. And, and in that spirit, a little more effortless. Do you have a final word for us? Well, well I, I think the final word would be, you know, <laughs> there's something that happens when you go down that path of anger and sadness and everything else. And that is the blinders come on. The focus becomes the pain. Um, and in that situation, when the blinders are on like that, that's that's basically going to be your life. That's your path forward. And and that anger, that pain, that negativity, to your point, I mean, nobody really wants to be around that long term. Uh, it, it's certainly not going to help the person heal, um, but it gives them a sense of control. It's like, this is what I'm focused on. This is what I'm going to do. And this is my path forward. And it's it's a very negative path forward, but it's their path nonetheless. You know, asking the question, well, what's the greater good that can come out of this? Of course, you know, there the, the, the test will be, there's no real great good that's going to come of that whatsoever. Uh, but, but letting go is also a letting go of expectation. Because with the blinders on, there's an expectation that there's going to be some peace at the end of this somewhere. And I think it's a false hope, but, but th that's what the person usually thinks is that, you know, if I go down this path of anger, there's going to be peace somewhere. I, I can just feel it, but it's, it never comes. But when you let it go, you, you basically open yourself up to all sorts of possibilities. And you can do that in a way that is hopeful and is opt optimistic and very positive. And the beautiful miracle, I think, of, of that type of approach, when you're not focused on the anger, but you're focused on the art of, of life that is filled with opportunity and hope and, and everything else, are those amazing experiences that will come to people that are unhindered by those, those blinders. Um, you know, I, I take that press conference as, as one of the first examples. I mean, I didn't ask for that. I didn't say, hey, I'd love to have a press conference and issue the challenge. I mean, it was just, it's it's something that came from my willingness to let it go and be open, be open to, you know, to, to whatever the outcomes may be, but to approach those with a notion of, you know, A, I'm going to focus on the things that I can control and everything else I'm going to let go. And then B, I'm going to do it with optimism, with hope, with an expectation of good for the future. Uh, and, and that's when miracles happen. I, you know, we call them miracles, but that's when, you know, these, these, these things that just, you know, fall in our laps that, that are so positive and so wonderful uh, and impact others. Um, and I think that's a, it's a wonderful way to, to live life. And so that's kind of how I've tried to approach every day since is, you know, keep those blinders uh, off where I, I limit myself too much. 
and be open to the possibilities, be open with an expectation that great things are going to happen. I just have to be able to see them and react to them. Um, and as I do that, you know, boy, there's just more good that, uh, that comes from, from that February 9th experience. Chris Williams, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. To everybody listening today, let's go back to the questions from the beginning. Have you ever held on to a grudge against people who hurt you? Have you wasted precious mental and emotional energy being angry, hurt, annoyed, resentful? How long has that wound been festering? Weeks, months, years, decades? What percentage of your mental and emotional energy have you allowed to get tied up, consumed, embittered by things you cannot even control? And what would happen if you could get a rebate on all of that time and energy and resource and creativity and curiosity? And even if it were possible to fully forgive, to see both sides of the relationship heal? What might be possible then? Whatever has happened to you in life, whatever hardship, whatever pain, they pale in comparison to the power you have to choose what to do now. You and I may well have held on to grudges longer than Chris did in this key moment. But whatever we've done in the past doesn't affect what we do right now in this moment. This can be our moment. Our choice to let go, not for them, not because they deserve it, not because it's totally fair or fair at all. We let go to become free again. We let go as quickly as possible so that we don't have to pay the price a hundred times over. Let's agree with those that hurt us as quickly as possible so that we don't get dragged into a higher and higher cost. In each moment, we have a choice. Do we choose the heavier or the lighter path? Chris Williams had that choice, that dramatic moment. And it proves a truism that no matter how hard things are in life, we can make them even harder by holding onto the grudge, by nursing that resentment. But similarly, no matter how hard a situation is in life, no matter how deeply a person has hurt us, we can always make it a little easier. And each of us has, as Robert Frost said in his classic poem, promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. So let's let go of the grudges of the personal conflicts so that we can pursue those promises we have to keep, that essential, special mission. Our why for letting it go is not because others deserve it, but because we have important, special, unique work that only we can do, only you can do. Thank you, really. Thank you for listening. If you found value in this episode, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. The first five people to write a review will receive a signed copy of Effortless, where on page 23 in chapter three, you can learn more about how to actually hold a performance evaluation of your personal conflicts. 
just send a photo of your review to info at gregmcewan.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so that you can receive the next episode. And also, if you only do one thing to subscribe to the One Minute Wednesday newsletter, it's completely free. You can access it at gregmcewan.com forward slash 1MW. And if you'd like to be a part of a live series where we're going to practice what we're learning here in this podcast in a way that we actually develop the skills necessary to apply it, sign up at essentialism.com forward slash negotiation. And I'll let you know as soon as we're ready to run the first series. I look forward to continuing this conversation next time in such a way that we can build together a movement. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.